Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is MPB Think Radio. I'm uh, Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. And on today's show, fallout from the funding battle over the Mississippi Department of Transportation continues to distract from other legislative issues as the session draws to a close. Then civil rights veterans are gathering this week to remember the 100th birthday of Fannie Lou Hamer. And we're remembering the life of renowned journalist, the conscience of Mississippi, Bill Miner. And Mississippi is too small a pond for a journalist in some way not to get involved in the story. And Bill is not the kind of person that would just go write the story. He he got involved and got to know all the major characters. Not that he went over the journalistic line, but he's a good human being who um, always had the human connection. And that's why the stories mattered to him. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MP. Think Radio. With lawmakers at a stalemate over passing a budget for the Mississippi Department of Transportation, legislators are still concerned over the state's infrastructure woes. The House and Senate reached an impasse shortly before the deadline passed to agree on a budget for the fiscal year beginning July 1st. At the center of the argument is the Internet sales tax. Senate leadership, including Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves, says it amounts to a new tax, one that has been declared unconstitutional in federal court. House leadership, including Speaker Philip Gunn, says it is not a new tax. It's a requirement that's already on the books and which some online retailers voluntarily collect. Speaker Gunn, a Republican from Clinton, talked about the issue with MPB's Mark Rigsby. Gunn says the state must find a way to fund repairs to Mississippi's crumbling roads and bridges. This is more than just about a desire or a wish or who gets their way. I think it is a fundamental function of government to take care of our roads and bridges. It is more than just what we want. It is actually our responsibility. The House has tried this session to meet that responsibility head on. We've brought forward three separate proposals to find a, a stream of revenue to fund roads and bridges. Every one of those proposals has not been even discussed, as far as I can tell, on the Senate end. The last and latest proposal that we brought forward, we felt like, was a solid measure to provide some some steady revenue that would go towards fixing our roads and bridges. I think the House got frustrated when those proposals didn't even receive an inquiry or a discussion or a debate. And so the House feels like we need to continue having that discussion. We need to act before the fiscal year begins, July 1. As of yesterday, no plan had been agreed upon. And so we will just hold off funding the MDOT and and, and continue the discussion. And hopefully we'll be able to come to some sort of agreement before July 1 to find some revenue for roads and bridges. Do you think at all that this is possibly seen as holding the Transportation Department budget hostage and forcing the hand of the Senate and the governor to call a special session? Well, we obviously want to have a continued discussion about it. The the mechanism through which MDOT is funded is their budget. So if we can put forward in that bill sources of revenue and devote those sources of revenue to roads and bridges, then we will help solve that problem. I heard some comments from uh, the lieutenant governor saying that this is basically about the internet sales tax. What would you say about that? I'd say that's absolutely not true, and I would challenge anyone to read the report. Section six of the report is the part that lays out uh, 
all it says is that whatever taxes are collected, a portion of those would be devoted to roads and bridges. It is not the implementation of any tax. It is simply saying that the monies that are already coming in via internet sales tax collections a portion of that would be devoted to roads and bridges. And I will just challenge you and all other media outlets to, to look at that. Anyone who reports that this is a tax is not giving an honest report to that. That's just a red herring. It is not an accurate statement to say that this is a tax. House Speaker Philip Gunn. Senator Willie Simmons is a Democrat from Cleveland and chair of the Senate Transportation Committee. He tells our Mark Rigsby there's some frustration between the House and the Senate. Simmons says it will take involvement from the public to solve the issue. Well, we're in a dilemma in which the House has chosen not to support and fund the Department of Transportation. We're running two tracks. We've been talking about generating dollars to support our deficient bridges and our highways. Uh, the House is seeming to be mixing that up and giving misinformation to say that we are putting new projects in that are referred to as pet projects. Neither of those is true. What we did was we passed a clean bill for the Department of Transportation, <clears throat> one that all six conferees agreed to, one that included $1.1 billion and had all of the programs in it. We did not add a single new project in that particular bill. As a matter of fact, we took a project out, the monorail project in Tunica, Mississippi. So that's misinformation or inadequate information that's being distributed. Why do you think the House is taking this position? I'm not sure. I would say that it may be one of frustration and that we have not addressed the real issue around transportation, and that is dealing with our infrastructure. We need about three point five three about three point five billion dollars in order to take care of it and we have not done that uh we keep talking about the leadership and as i've said long before it's not really the leadership it's the membership and the citizenship who have not said to the membership here that we really need to address the problem by generating funds and if we need three and a half billion dollars you can't do that out of the current appropriation you got to raise additional funds and we have not been willing to do that. In order to do that, you can't rely on an Internet sale tax that we don't know if we're going to get. Uh, that's going to be false hope that we are giving to the citizen and to the board of supervisors that they're going to get money that we don't know they will get. What do you think will happen now? Will there be a special session called? And can the Senate and the House come to some type of an agreement on the transportation budget and trying to do something about funding roads and bridges? I think so. I think, but it's the governors who has to make the decision as to whether or not there'll be a special call session. And he normally, in dealing with an issue, he try and work with the Senate and the House leadership to make sure that we can have an agreement so we're not here forever and ever once he calls the session. So I'm more than sure that the leadership will work on that. But to address the second problem, it's not going to be the leadership. It's going to be the membership. And the membership should be able to look at the 3,800 deficient bridges that we have and the bad highways and streets that we have in our state that's causing us to spend thousands of dollars repairing our vehicle. We should be able to look at that and have some common sense about it and say that we are willing to do the things that we need to do. We haven't raised our uh, user fee tax since 1987. We are the fifth lowest in the state. Uh, we are lower than Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Tennessee. In Arkansas, 
has a 21 cent sale tax, which is three cents more than the, us. In addition to that, they have a half cent sale tax to deal with their highways. And they have the same kind of population that we have. Uh, Alabama, Tennessee, and Louisiana have about two million more people than we have, and they are collected more at the fuel tank than we are. For you as the chairman of the Highways and Transportation Committee on the Senate side, is there a level of frustration here, or is this just politics? You can call it politics. You can call it frustration. I call it not being visionary and not being statesmen to live up with what we need to be doing. Our responsibility is to take care of our infrastructure. Our responsibility at this level is to make sure that public safety exists and our responsibility is to make sure that we create an environment that will bring commerce in so that our economics will be good. Uh, we're looking at uh, a diminishing economy where we're not generating the kind of revenue we would like. And if we don't do some for our infrastructure uh, and all the other things that we are doing, we could see less coming in tomorrow than we have coming in today. Senator Willie Simmons with MPB's Mark Rigsby. We also heard from House Speaker Philip Gunn. You can hear much more on the rest of the state budget and the latest on the MDOT impasse this Friday on At Issue. MPB's At Issue airs Friday evenings at 7.30 on MPB TV and is always online at mpbonline.org. In other news, the 2017 Mississippi legislative session is coming to a close, but that isn't stopping members and supporters of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community from voicing their opinions on LGBT rights. MPB's Alexis Ware reports the American Civil Liberties Union of Mississippi held a hearing yesterday at the state capitol to talk about transgender issues. Having no LGBT protections is just as bad as having anti-LGBT legislation. Daniel Ball is a faith outreach organizer for the Human Rights Campaign. He was among dozens voicing support for legislation that would protect members of the LGBT community. Considering the fact that many people turn a blind eye to a lot of the LGBT experiences people face in the state, until we put forth a concerted effort to sit down, listen to those stories, and help create protections that will extend to everyone and not just some, only then will we be able to mobilize our whole state in doing more and thriving more, not only socially but also economically as well. Malaysia Walker is a member of Mississippi's transgender community. She's urging lawmakers to pass laws that are more inclusive of the LGBT community. Instead of negativity towards the community and bills that are being passed to harm the community of the LGBT people, being included, making things just the same as anyone else in the community. Walker says House Bill 1523 is one of the bills she finds problematic. Lawmakers passed that law last year, which would protect government employees and business owners who deny service to LGBT people because of their religious beliefs. But a federal judge blocked it before it went into effect July 1, 2016. Next week in Texas, members of the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals will hear arguments in that case. Alexis Ware, MPB News. Civil rights veterans are gathering this week to remember the 100th birthday of Fannie Lou Hamer. We'll hear from them next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. MPB seeks a videographer editor for field and studio productions, field and studio lighting, field audio recording, and nonlinear editing. Knowledge of HD video equipment and Adobe Premiere CC is required. 
More information at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The voice of Fannie Lou Hamer is still reverberating throughout the civil rights movement in America. Hamer was born 100 years ago this October and died 40 years ago this month. Her life is being honored this week at the annual convention of the veterans of the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement. Cynthia Godlow Palmer, Goodlow, excuse me, Goodlow Palmer in Civil Rights Veterans Executive Director and tells MPB's Ezra Wall more about Mrs. Hamer and her legacy. 50 years ago, they were advocating for rights for all people, and again, um, unfortunately, they're still having to advocate for those same rights today. So, again, until everybody's free, nobody's free. So tell me about uh, the, the annual conference. It's, it's the 12th annual conference, and uh, tell me a little bit what, what about what the special focus is going to be this year. Well, the special focus is on Mrs. Hamer. Had she lived, she would be 100 years uh, old in October. So as a tribute to her, uh, during our conference, we're going to be lifting her up. And then many of the workers that worked with Mrs. Hamer, that knew Mrs. Hamer, will be uh, attending the conference this year. So we're very excited, especially to kick off Wednesday night with our Jimmy Travis Civil Rights Legacy Symposium Series with four women that actually worked with Mrs. Hamer, Annie Pearl Avery, Joyce Magner, Marilyn Lowen, and Martha Prescott Newman. And they are part of a new book that's entitled Hands on the Freedom Plow. So we're excited to to start our conference uh, with this particularly particular symposium series featuring uh, movement women who worked along with Mrs. Hamer. A lot of the 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 imagery that comes up in terms of the the terminology that people use when they talk about the civil rights movement, you hear a lot about about struggle, about toil, about work, about particularly agrarian work and that sort of thing, and 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 how much work is left to be done and 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 so on. And it just reminds me so much of of an effort that 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 takes takes a long time and 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 hopefully bears a lot of fruit in the future but but you've got a lot of people like Mrs. Hamer who didn't get to experience the benefits of of their labor as much as other people have how how how, how does that affect how how you and how others uh, go about civil rights work today well i'm a second generation uh, veteran I, I wasn't around during those times and so i am definitely a beneficiary of all of the remarkable gains and sacrifices that people like Mrs. Hamer made during those particular times. And so um, we, we see that uh, there's still work to be done. And so I'm just honored uh, as a second-generation veteran to be able to continue the legacy of the work that Mrs. Hamer did and so many uh, nameless veterans who worked not just in Mississippi but throughout the country uh, for civil rights and human rights and women's rights. And so um, this conference will certainly join those veterans along with um, the today's activists and students, historians, scholars, community activists. Uh, it's just a, a beautiful thing when they can all come together 
uh, for a common purpose. When you think about someone like Mrs. Hamer, uh, who who've, we've had the chance to learn about over the years, she's, of course, famous for her advocacy and her activism. And, and when she spoke and said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think that's probably the soundbite that everybody thinks of. What is it about Mrs. Hamer and her work and her character and her legacy that you would like people to take away? Well, I think Mrs. Hamer was just real. She was just an ordinary person. She wasn't uh, a privileged person, but once she was convicted that uh, she could she could make a difference, I think she was inspiring to so many people, and she's inspiring to me today that um, it only takes one person to, to strike a match, and then uh, who knows where that, that how, how far that that light will go. So where can people find out more information? The, the event is the the uh, 12th annual conference of the Veterans of the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement. Where where can people find information that they need? They can go on our Facebook page, which is Mississippi Civil Rights Veterans. We're on Twitter, uh, at MS underscore veterans, or they can go to our website, www.mscivilrightsveterans.com com and they can get to schedule all of the information. We'd love to have them. We'd love to have you. All right. Cynthia Goodlow-Palmer is the executive director of the, Miss- the Veterans of the Mississippi Civil Rights Movement. Thank you very much for joining us today, Cynthia. Thank you, Ezra, for the invitation. Coming up, we remember the life and career of renowned journalist, the conscience of Mississippi, Bill Miner, following his death yesterday. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio press conferences, executive orders, meetings with foreign leaders. There's plenty to follow in the first 100 days of the new administration, and NPR News will be there, digging deep into the facts and bringing you multiple points of view. Listen every day. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. Mississippi ranks 50th in child well-being. So what makes a child healthy and well? So it's not merely the absence of disease, but social, physical, spiritual, emotional well-being. There's so much more to the health of a child that I think we need to drastically change our view of what health care is. Parents share their stories as Southern Remedy explores what prevents Mississippi's children from growing up well. Thursday, March 30th on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Documentarian Ellen Ann Fentress calls Bill Miner the most essential reporter the nation's never heard of. Miner first came to Mississippi in 1947 as a reporter for the Times-Picayune of New Orleans. He published his own weekly government affairs newspaper and was a syndicated columnist for many years. He died yesterday at the age of 94. In 2015, Ellen Ann Fentress visited our studio to remember the career of Bill Miner and talk about her documentary, Eyes on Mississippi. Bill Miner came here for the Times-Picayune in 1947, and he has been an active working reporter ever since. He has stories going way, way back. He has covered literally history that we study today. Absolutely. You know, one of the uh, definitions of a journalist is a journalist writes the first draft of history, and Bill has been there at every milestone of Mississippi history. And Mississippi is too small a pond for a journalist in some way not to get involved in the story. And Bill is not the kind of person that would just go write the story. He he got involved and got to know all the major characters. Not that he went over the journalistic 
line, but he's a good human being who um, always had the human connection, and that's why the stories mattered to him. Share a story with our listeners that Bill was involved with. He became friends with Medgar Evers during the late 50s when Medgar Evers first came to Jackson as the field director of the Mississippi NAACP. Over that time, Bill realized that Medgar was going to be the one that coalesced the movement in Mississippi. He could see it. He became a personal friend of his. Whenever Mr. Evers had an event, Bill made sure to attend it. That was totally in contrast to most of the local news media, which did not give him any coverage that they could manage to avoid. And when they did, it was disparaging. Ms. Evers is in the documentary, and she adds so much to it, talking about that time, about how that she was very wary of everybody and what their agenda was and their ulterior motives. And when she saw Mr. Evers invite Bill into the office and saw the uh, coverage that Bill gave, she understood that Bill Miner was one of the few people that could be trusted in the Jackson movement. How long has this this film been in the making? Officially for about five years, but uh, I've known Bill since 1978. Uh, my first job as the most cubby of cub reporters in Mississippi, uh, like a week out of uh, college, was working for Bill at his old alternative weekly, The Capital Reporter. So people have told Bill forever that he needed to write his memoir. And uh, this is yeah, how including that's... Including me. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and this is how it came about. There was some discussion of I was going to help him get together a memoir. And it just occurred to me that what about a documentary with the, all the archival footage that would be so powerful in the the manner one sees on public television. And that's how it came about. A story that he told me that really stuck with me, I'm wondering if it's in the documentary, was he witnessed the last execution with the traveling electric chair that went from courthouse. They they executed people at the courthouse in this traveling electric chair. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that, Karen. It was the case of Willie McGee, and it happened in 1951. That case, it, it opened Mississippi's justice system to the world. It became a, a, a lot of people don't know about this, but this was a case that drew in Albert Einstein. It drew in the performer Josephine Baker in Paris, Richard Wright, Jessica Midford, and it was the first appearance of Bella Abzug in Mississippi as a young law school graduate because there were so few blacks, no blacks, registered to vote in Jones County. Actually, there were very, there were a few. There were no blacks on the jury. Therefore, that brought the whole Mississippi system of justice into question internationally. And Bill would say that that was the first indication that Mississippi was going to be a national story, even three years before Brown versus Board of Education. What else might surprise people in Mississippi about Mississippi's history as seen through Bill Miner's eyes? For someone of my generation who was a child during civil rights, some of this stuff, even though it wasn't talked about a lot, we grew up marinated in the names and the faces. Even if you didn't know the intensity of the pathology of what was going on. You knew the faces. I've been intrigued to see people of my children's generation to watch it, and it's very powerful for them because they're seeing eyewitness to this, tell the story. They're seeing this vintage uh, footage. Some of this footage, I believe, has not been digitized until uh, for, for release since it was shown until then, so I'm very proud of that fact. But for I think for um, the younger generation, and most people are younger, in Mississippi now, it's a just a powerful, palpable way to see what happened and to put the names in the faces in a far more powerful way than maybe just seeing 
seen it written. Eyes on Mississippi, and we've been speaking with Ellen Ann Fentress. She is the producer and director of the documentary. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Again, Bill Miner died yesterday at the age of 94. Ellen Ann Fentress's film, Eyes on Mississippi, will be screened at the Crossroads Film Festival. That's next week, April 6th through the 9th. More information is at crossroadsfilmfestival.com. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.